Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 43, Creating Your Own Brand and Building a Successful Art Business with Jake Parker. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me again this week. I have a few updates, and then we'll go right into that interview with Jake. But I just thought I would kind of reflect a little bit on 2020. I mean, we all know it wasn't necessarily the best year, but I think we have to look at the positive, and I am thankful that I'm able to do my art, even with uh, the lockdown, uh, numerous lockdowns in place, and that I'm able to connect with you. So there's been uh, 24 episodes of the podcast this year with 18 different guests, and so I'm really happy about that. I spoke to some really uh, inspirational people learn things I did not know, and I feel like I came out of this year just as a better person, a better artist, learning to appreciate not just creativity, but the world around me. And I think that's a reflection of kind of the quality of the people that are out there that are willing to share their stories. But I think probably the most important thing uh, this year to me is you. That is you coming back and listening to this podcast and, and being able to share your story the comments and the feedback and connecting with you, it's been so valuable to me. And whether this is your first time or your repeat listener, you know, I, I do this podcast for you. Uh, you know, I am curious and I've could have, you know, taken the the route of, of going and trying to connect with these artists individually and doing my research online and trying to evolve myself as an artist. And I wanted to do something a little bit more, so that is why I created the podcast, this idea of being able to go through this journey, connect with artists along the way, and trying to up my uh, my creative game and, and being a better artist, and sharing all of that with you. And I've heard back from so many of you through comments and through individual feedback and messages, and I'm just so thankful that it's making a difference, whether it's some of you who are coming back to drawing after being away from it for so many years or trying new mediums or trying new paper, or trying new approaches. Or, you know, I've heard from somebody who, who's actually considering starting a, their own podcast. And I think, you know, what, whatever the impact may be, I'm glad that there are these stories that are, that are coming through as, as a result of, of this podcast and us, you know, sitting down and, and being able to share these thoughts, and provide the feedback. I just think it's been great. And so I've really enjoyed this journey. I think this has been a really incredible year in being able to pull these people together and share these stories in amongst this pandemic that we're having. So I just wanted to to say thank you. I love all of you. I, I, I really, it has meant so much to have you here as part of the journey, and I hope you will stick stick around as we move into 2021. And I can uh, hopefully continue to provide this podcast as a way to inspire and to motivate. And, you know, there's been so many things. You know, I launched a Patreon this year. And so I have regular patrons now who are helping, supporting the show that you're listening to. And so there are ways to, to look at uh, supporting uh, the podcast. In fact, in the last few weeks, I've sent out some more rewards to patrons. At this point in time, they're actually original drawings that I'm sending out. They will be receiving additional materials as well. This is part of some of the higher levels in the patron framework, but it's been really helpful. So thank you. So I thought I'd share some of the work that I've been uh, doing lately. So I 
received some paper from a Strathmore. It's this toned blue uh, kind of sketchbook. It's six inch by eight inch. And I decided I'm going to, you know, it's such a beautiful kind of color with the tone blue. I thought I would try colored pencil. And I haven't done colored pencil in quite a long time. Before I started this little exercise, I only had done maybe five or six colored pencil drawings. So this was just a me playing around a little bit. I have a series of colored pencils. I initially had some Prismacolor. I think they were Premier, and I didn't really like those too much. So I got some Faber-Castell Polychromos uh, probably two years ago, maybe. And I really hadn't used them too much. So I decided, well, this is a great time to try this out. So the first one I did was a uh, Chickadee. That was a, that was a fun little exercise, obviously based off a photo I took. You do this one thing, and it's like, I'm going to try a different thing now. So my next uh, kind of winter bird, <laughs> air quotes around that, that I went to was a cardinal. And I just, you know, you got to love the cardinals with their red color, the mix of the the branch and the grapes that are frozen with a bit of snow. So I decided to do that and maybe, uh, you know, work with it in the idea of a card. Uh, so I did do that. Using this paper for cards is not great because it's such heavy stock that I can't kind of fold it right. So that was that was something I learned that, you know, I'm going to have to actually cut <laughs> this if I'm going to try and use it for cards. I can't bend it easily. So because I think the, the paper itself is around 300 GSM. So it's a very heavyweight paper, but the surface is quite smooth. It's not um, it's not like a cold press a watercolor paper. It actually is uh, fairly smooth and interesting texture on it. So the next one I decided to do was a snowy owl. This was based off a free reference photo that I had found. I think it was on Unsplash, which is a website you can use to find kind of reference photos that are free for uh, for use. And so I did a snowy owl. I did it because I had one actually fly over my truck at night uh, right near where the Ottawa Senators hockey team plays. And it was seriously, I was driving down the highway. I must have been doing, you know, 100, 110 kilometers an hour. And this thing flew over the tr- the my truck, maybe 20 feet off the ground or 20 feet off the, the level of the truck. And we do have snowy owls here quite often, but it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. And I think it just stuck with me. And I decided, well, I need something that's going to sit well on a darker kind of tone blue background. So I decided to do this snowy owl, which I think turned out fairly well. And then the last one I did was my eye. I always default to what I have, <laughs> and that's my eyes. So I've drawn my eye in digital, I've done it in graphite, and now I've done it in colored pencil. It's a little bit bloodshot uh, in the version I did with colored pencil, but I just, I really liked playing with the the blood vessels and kind of the red tinge to things. And I think it turned out okay. I, I'm thinking I'm going to take multiple photos of my eye and maybe find some other ones online as well. Just getting some different views rather than that just straight on look. The idea of, you know, having the eyelid kind of pulled aside or something like that. So I, I'm probably going to do a little bit more with that. But, uh, you know, it's funny because I spend some time on colored pencil or digital or whatever the case, and I immediately feel like I'm I'm neglecting graphite. So I feel like the next few pieces I'm going to do are going to be graphite. I am thinking of doing a blue jay before I leave uh, colored pencil for a bit, but we'll see. I'm off until January 4th, so I think I'm going to be trying uh, a few other things, including some watercolor. So we'll see what happens between now and the next podcast. So one of the things I do every year is I think about a theme for my year. And I've been doing this probably for the last, I'm going to say, three or four years. I find it much better than a New Year's resolution because then it kind of gives you the latitude or the opportunity to succeed 
uh, versus locking yourself into some kind of um, uh, specific goals for the year uh, that typically, you know, you sit down at the beginning of the year and think, how would I make myself better? And then you lay out these resolutions and you may or may not meet them. But it really doesn't provide a consistent kind of outlook for the year. And so I've been using this idea of themes. I think uh, there's a podcast called Cortex with Mike Hurley and CGP Gray. And they've been talking about themes for a few years now. If you check out episode 110, they talk about their reflection of kind of this past year in 2020 and looking forward to 2021. And they do a much better job of kind of covering what themes mean and the advantages. And Mike Hurley has created this theme system journal, which I think is brilliant, is a way to kind of take those themes and those ideas you have for the year and try and achieve success in what you're trying to do. And so I would recommend, I'll provide a link in the show notes for that, but I would recommend checking that specific episode out. And obviously the Cortex is a great podcast, but that specific episode, they actually focus on the theme idea for both, as I say, 2020 and 2021. So kind of looking back, my theme for 2019 was emergence. And for that year, I was kind of focused on, you know, pulling myself out and saying, I'm an artist, I'm going to take this stuff seriously, I'm going to do something about it. So, and we raised butterflies, so I had to go with something like emergence, (laughs) where I've kind of transformed into something new. And it really helped me through 2019, because a lot of the decisions I was making, I was thinking, is this consistent with my theme? And can I do something more to bring it in line with my theme? And I really found it helpful for that year. I felt like of all the years, I'm looking back, you know, maybe 10, 20 years, I really felt like that was a huge change for me in 2019. I started the podcast. I did a bunch of things to help kind of move my art forward. And having that emergence theme kind of sitting in the background was really important for me. Now, when it came to 2020, I actually didn't create a theme. And it, you know, it would have been interesting kind of reflecting on that as to what that theme would be and how things would go. But I still had a fantastic year. I think that the lack of a theme kind of, I I don't think I had the focus that I should have for this year. And I had a lot of things going on, a lot of things I wanted to achieve. I felt like I couldn't pull all that back under an umbrella that kind of reflected what I was trying to do for that year. And so for 2021, I thought, I need a theme. I need to bring this back and see what I can do for this year. So my theme for 2021 is flight and focus. And I combined two because I felt they worked together. And I felt that I needed to have them both there. So when I say flight and focus, you know, being consistent with the idea of emergence and a butterfly emerging, I feel like this is going to be my year of flight. My, my, and, and by that, I mean kind of leaving the branch, leaving the plant, leaving things behind a little bit and just taking a leap. And and I'm really focusing on my creative journey when I talk about flight and really kind of spreading my wings, looking into things like teaching, like starting up my own uh, um, online store, which I'm going to be doing in at the beginning of January, you know, trying to reach out and, and connect with more community and interacting online. Uh, there's going to be some interesting show ideas. I'm going to be exploring other art mediums. And so this is all part of that idea of flight, of exploring this creative world that we um, that we have around us. And focus was important to me because I think I do need to focus with regard to the podcast and the art that I'm doing and 
the products that I'll be selling online as well. So I felt I needed to have both together. And I may revisit things through the year, but for me, I'm going into 2021 with this idea of flight and focus. And I think that I'm comfortable with that. I I thought about having the word curiosity in there because I'm always it's it's always important to me to to kind of maintain that level of curiosity that I have about how things how people do things, how they think, what tools are they using, um, how did they get to where they are, what did they learn along the way. I think that level of curiosity is important. But for me, uh, I, I, I couldn't include it into this year. It may come as a future year. But uh, once again, for me, it's it's kind of, how do I up my game? Well, it's I'm going to take flight with it. And it's important, once again, to, to ensure that I have that focus, that I'm continuing to focus on what I'm trying to do. And looking at a theme really kind of is a, is a much softer and a much more forgiving and a much more positive approach than thinking about uh, resolutions. And so I think it's a great idea. Those are my, or that is my theme for 2021. And I uh, hopefully you will uh, take the approach as well. And, and if you do, share it with me. I'd be curious of what you're doing for uh, 2021. So with that, uh, let's head into my interview this week with uh, Mr. Jake Parker. My guest this week is probably best known as the creator of an annual global event called Inktober, but he has done so much more. He has worked with animation studios, created his own series of books, illustrated many others, and has trained many other artists and illustrators through his online teaching site called SVS Learn. He has worked hard at developing his knowledge of all areas of the art business, from marketing to designing, publishing, and shipping books for his successful Kickstarter campaigns. To talk about his creative journey, his art, and his projects, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Jake Parker. Hi, Jake. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. It's uh, I've been looking forward to this for some time, and I know that we've both been quite busy, and mm-hmm. I do appreciate you putting the time aside to do this. You know, obviously, I think a lot of us as artists know you from Inktober, creator mm-hmm. of Inktober, and a lot of us, uh, many of us do that every year, and we will get into that later in the show, and we'll talk about some of the other stuff you've been doing, podcasts and books and, and all of this stuff. Cool. But I wanted to kind of... I think it's always helpful to understand where you came from Mm -hmm. and, you know, in understanding how did you, I mean, we all start drawing as kids. Right. And, uh, you know, I love everything. A lot of what you have has kind of a space theme and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I I, I love seeing that stuff. So obviously there has been an influence there from sci-fi, but I'm wondering, you know, at what point did it go from a childhood or a child drawing to like, you know, I, I think I want to take this seriously. Yeah. I remember in probably s- sixth or seventh grade thinking, this is what I want to do for a living, and I should probably like start taking it serious now. So seventh grade, entering junior high school, they had art classes is the first time you know that would be available to me, a specific s- scheduled time of day to to work on it during school, and I signed up for that first thing. And then I just took art classes all through junior high and high school and did every assignment as best I could and really tried to just focus on that in, in a more of an academic way and, and less of a just drawing for fun sort of way. There was still a lot of experimentation. There was still a lot of drawing for fun and you know coming up with comics and superheroes and all kinds of things. But you know when my teacher would 
teach us perspective. I was like, okay, I really want to learn this because I know I'm going to have to draw buildings someday for <laughs> you know for a job. And prior to that, I remember I was really into the aesthetics of cars, not not so much the engineering side of it. And I remember getting a subscription to Automobile Magazine, and just so I could like stay up to date on all the coolest cars. And anytime they showed concept art of future car, you know, cars that were coming in five years, I would just eat that up and try to copy it and do my versions of it. And, and so I was like really into designing cars. And then that, that turned into more of a, you know, I branched out into wanting to design or wanting to draw more illustrative things, things that told a story things that were uh, attached to some sort of narrative so interesting and what was your like were you influenced by you know star wars and like what was what was beyond the automobile component what was really hitting you and kind of pushing you forward star wars was a huge influence uh anything sci-fi so like the last starfighter dune uh, i remember the the original film in that from the 80s i think it's david fincher Mm -hmm. directed it that kind of stuff, anything that had like a, a, a sci-fi vibe to it, I was way into it. And I remember too, like walking into a comic shop and seeing like, A, that there were comics other than Spider-Man, Superman, and Batman and being like, what are the X-Men? This is really cool. And seeing um, Jim Lee's work, you know, for the X-Men and that really got me, got me going and then realizing that Jim Lee was influenced by the um, uh, Otomo, who did Akira, and and so I was like way into that too. I, uh, Akira, and then that led me to like Shiro, who did Appleseed and Ghost in the Shell, and uh, and then I got big into Battle Angel Alita by Yukito Kishiro. So that was all like high school. That was what I was way into in high school. And then after high school, I was exposed to the French comic artists, so Mobius, and not just French, but European. I'd seen some Hergé uh, Tintin stuff before, but I really got into it. Um, and so that was all like one side of it. And then I had this other side of me, which was Calvin and Hobbes and Bone and like more of the cartoony stuff. I love Disney animated films. And and so it was like these two opposing things, like hard, edgy sci-fi and then like fun, kind of cartoony, cute stuff. At what point did you hit upon your style? Like when you, you finally established and said, you know, this is my voice, this is how I create, and this is what yeah. I do. At what point did it, did it kind of clinch for you all come together? I feel like that happened when I was about 33 or 34 years old. And prior to that, it was just trying stuff out and experimenting and and let's try this and see if it works and let's try that and see if it works. And I think my style really gelled with with Inktober, honestly. Like Inktober, I started in 2009. I was about 30, 32, I think, when I when I did the first one. I'm I'm 43 now. And that first one I got the the brush pen and there was just a lot of things like came together for that first Inktober. I had drawn dinosaurs before, I had drawn spaceships before, I had drawn aliens and stuff before, but in that Inktober I did and I posted these 
recently, like in September in my Instagram account. So if people want to mm -hmm. go back and look, they can see all the drawings from the first Inktober. But in that one, I did my CC and Benson, which were my rabbit and bear. I did, I found like a sort of my style for machinery. I found like I did some dinosaur stuff and those were all themes that would like take me through the next 10 years to where we are now, which was, I would call it like, um, you know, if I were to name the style, it'd be like a Watersonian anime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, and, and, and by anime, I don't mean, you know, what we usually, uh, anime actually is so broad. So I, I would narrow that down. It's, it's the, technical side of anime the the sci-fi side of anime is what i'm i'm really interested in not so much the characters right but like when they put any sort of vehicle or environment or robot into their 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 films or or, or shows or whatever they have this realism about them and so i like that like you look at neon genesis evangelion and the robots or mechs or whatever and you look at gundam and those those mechs, they all have like this believability to them, even though they're ridiculous. There's no reason to, to have a giant robot, but they make it work. And so, so you take that and you take Bill Watterson, who did Calvin Hobbes, and you kind of mash them together. And I think you got something that I do. And I think that a lot of artists starting out kind of struggle a bit with the style, right? Because you end up being in a position where, you know, you want, you feel that you can't really say you've succeeded until you've have an established style that you can describe that to somebody right. and I, I it just it's unfortunate that so many artists get caught up in that right and, and trying to define instead of exploring and uh, just refining the technical skills mm -hmm. um, you know I, I think it would be good to hear that you know you didn't find your voice mm -hmm. your style or define it until you were in your mid-30s yeah I remember taking a, a class in college a life drawing class and you know, I was 21 years old and I asked the teacher, I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. We're supposed to learn the muscle structure and the anatomy and light and shadow. But like, wh when do we learn style? I want to, how do I find my style? It was the same question, you know, like where, where does it come from? And he just kind of laughed at me, not laughed, but like chuckled. And he's like, no, don't worry about that. That's, that's going to happen because you're studying this stuff. It's gonna come to you. You're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna find it, or you're not gonna like deliberately find it. You're gonna stumble upon it. And I don't know if he said this or if this is the way I remember it, but essentially, style is something you don't see in front of you, but it's something you see in your rearview mirror, where you're like, you you don't you don't know <laughs> where you're going with your work exactly. You're just kind of, you know, it's driving at night. You could just see as far as the headlights are, you know, are shining. But with the rearview mirror, you could see, oh, this led to that, that led to this, this influenced me there, that led to that, and this is why I create the way I create. And then I think once you've found a style, or, or at least you have some sort of comfort with fundamentals and, and there's some mastery of, of this skill, then I think you can deliberately chase other styles and see two or three things. And well, if I match these together, I can, I can make that. So I want to go back between that point of like high school and, and the first Inktober when you kind of got your first, so did you, 
get a formal education in? I so what I did was graduated high school. I went to about a year of community college. There's a community college not far from my high school, and I signed up for art classes there. Then I left for two years and served a mission for my church where I just focused on like serving others. I didn't really draw. I, I drew, but it wasn't like my focus. My focus was like trying to get outside of myself and helping others. And then I came back and I was 21 and I'm like, okay, let's figure out what we're going to do here. And I started taking, signed up for classes again at, at the community college and halfway through that semester, my high school art teacher, I was visiting him, and I was showing him my portfolio and things I had been working on, and, and he's like, you know what, and to give some context here, this is in Mesa, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix, which is about six hours east of Los Angeles, and it's much more affordable to live in Phoenix, and so I think... That's why Fox Animation opened up an animation studio in Phoenix. So here I was sitting in the backyard of an animation studio that was, they had just finished Anastasia, which was a huge success. They were starting production on their second uh, film. And my, my high school art teacher said, hey, one of my stu- former students got a job there. He loves it. I think you'd be perfect for it too. You should um, look into that and see if you can get a job. And long story short, I got a job there. And I was so naive. I was like, hey, you know, could this just be part-time? And, you know, maybe I could, I'm still in school. And they're like, do you want this job or not? It's 40 hours a week. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I want the job. So I dropped out of school, took the job. It took some night classes still, but essentially that was like my formal education. And it transitioned from me going to class to me learning as much as I could on the job and from other professionals. And that's essentially how I've taught myself over the, you know, the last 20 years. Impressive. I dropped out of college as well, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't in art. I was in engineering and I got a, uh, a, a job proposal from a, a engineering company and I dropped out. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to pay me? Okay. Because um, yeah. my summer job ended up becoming a full-time job. I mean, we've got to take those opportunities mm-hmm. when they present themselves, right? Yeah. So what, at what point did you, like, did you go through a few jobs at that point? Like, at what point did you transition to kind of the freelance bit? And why did you do that? Good question. I ended up working in animation or tangential industries to that for 12 years. And so Fox led to working. There's like a, a stint there for a, a couple of years where I was kind of bouncing around between really just these odd art jobs. Like there was a museum that was opening up a dinosaur uh, wing, you know, to the museum and they needed a muralist. Well, they had a muralist, the muralist needed an assistant. (laughs) And so I, so I got a job for the summer doing that. The reason I left Fox is they shut the studio down. The movie we're working on failed miserably at the box office. And they said, (laughs) we can't afford to do this anymore. Goodbye, everybody. So, so I was like, what do I do now? And my wife's like, go check out the they need an artist at the museum. So I went down there and that was my job for the summer. While doing that, I worked on my portfolio some more and I ended up getting a job at a at a video game company in Phoenix. And then that company decided to move to Los Angeles. And so they took all of us out to Los Angeles. And then while I was there, 
I got recruited by a company in Dallas, which was making commercials, animation for commercials. And so I moved out to Dallas. And then while I was there, I had my eye on Blue Sky Studios up in the New York area. Uh, and they were doing the Ice Age movies. And, and they, they just got the Dr. Seuss estate to agree to have them am- animate Horton Hears a Who. And so they brought me on to work on environment design for that. And so then I worked at Blue Sky. So that was like my animation career. And all while I was doing that, I was really interested in publishing, whether it was comic books or children's books or graphic novels, things like that. And so I was always doing like nights and weekends, like working on graphic novels and little comic short stories and and things like that. And at the studio, I was like, I was looking around. Here I was, 30-something, early 30s. I was like, okay, I need to decide what what the next 20 years are going to be like. And that is, do I stay at the studio and try to shoot for art director, you know, creative director, thing like that, and compete with all these other people who are way better than me? <laughs> or do I try to go lean in hard to this publishing thing and make that my career? And I decided to leave animation and go into doing more publishing and freelancing stuff. And I've been doing that for eight, nine years now. You know, that has its own pitfalls and its own rewards. And about once a year, I have this, you know, this crisis where I'm like, maybe I made the wrong decision. (laughs) Is it too late (laughs) to go back to animation? Uh, But ultimately, I, I stick with it because there's just so much opportunity and, and I, I don't, sometimes I feel like it fits my personality better. That said, like recently, if you, here's a, to anybody listening, if you're wanting to get into feature animation, work for Disney, work for DreamWorks, work for Blue Sky or anything, on Disney Plus, there's the making of Frozen 2. And it's six episodes or seven episodes long. And it just takes you through the process of the making of the sausage, all the behind the scenes of, of what went into making this film. And it, and it, it was fascinating. And I watched that. I was like, man, I miss working at an animation studio. That was, hmm. it was just cool to be surrounded by all this talent and to, instead of being responsible for everything, to be responsible for just making one thing amazing, you know, and spending all your time on that. I kind of missed that. But that was also my reason for wanting to leave because I wanted to work on everything. So it's like this, this uh, ebb and flow of feelings about creativity and, and what, what it should be working on. I mean, I think that's, that's the interesting bit for me is that while you were doing the animation, you were working in your spare time mm-hmm. <laughs> on this other bit. And, you know, obviously that had to be a passion for it to carry on for so many years as being mm-hmm. a spare. And you were living basically, you know, two lives maybe, mm-hmm. um, creative lives. Is that... And, you know, I'm trying to do the same. I My day job has nothing to do with art. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to do this in my spare time. I don't think one will overpower the other, but uh, obviously, you know, your passion drives what you do in your spare time. I wasn't going to go this direction, but I think this may be a different way to look at it. Now, this point in time for Jake Parker, are you doing anything in your spare time? Yes. Or is it all this? <laughs> is there something else that well, is happening? What a- what I've been doing in my spare time has these last 10 years, I've been very much working, working in this style of ink and 
kind of a comic book style. And, and I just feel like I need to level up, or master my craft a little bit more. And so what I've been working on is painting, digital painting, and trying to make images look somewhat realistic or have realistic lighting to them. I'm teaching myself how to use 3D software so I can use those tools to help me understand lighting better and understand perspective better, just to, I think, make my pipeline for creating an image somewhat faster and, and maybe help me to make a little bit more complex images. Because a lot of times I will have an idea for an image and then kind of toss it aside because I don't want to do all the perspective that it involves. And I don't want to, you know, and oh, the light is going to be too hard and I'm going to mess it up. So I'll just, I'll just uh, set that aside and, and work on something easier. And, and really these past 10 years, I would say there's been a lot of focus on getting my, my work to a level where it's passable, where I could, not spend a ton of time on it and still have it be something that gets people's attention, gets likes, spend two hours on an image and post it on Instagram instead of spending 40 hours on an image and post it on Instagram and do, you know, and post every day instead of once a week, you know, that's, that's sort of been my strategy. And then the rest of the time I've been, I guess, trying to master time management, project management, business strategy, marketing, launching Kickstarters, launching products, running a shop, shipping and handling, you know, ordering supplies and making sure, you know, I don't fall behind on that stuff and and all that and so all that stuff's important. If you're an independent artist, you gotta know the whole business administrative side of thing. And I wasn't very good at it when I started this. And now I feel like I've got a handle on it. And so it's time to focus back on elevating my craft to another level. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of artists could probably take some lessons in business and marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's not just, like, I work in health research, mm-hmm. and it's not just in art where people don't have the business acumen because they're never taught it. When you look at physicians and researchers, mm-hmm. they're not taught how to run a research enterprise. So they may be great in solving the latest therapy for, you know, cancer treatment or whatever the case. <laughs> right. But they don't get any training in how to run a business, how to manage staff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they may be taught how to go out and grab grants, but they don't know how to do all that bit, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it, this happens across all professions. And I, I wanted to ask you, like, when you start doing work for others as an mm-hmm. artist, and, you know, Instagram is, everybody's looking at your Instagram, you know, you got to post regularly, you got to put something up there. How much pressure it is, is it on artists to think that, well, I'm working on this really great book that I'm illustrating, and I can't show you the really good stuff right now because <laughs> I'm right. doing it for someone else. So then there's this pressure that I got to go create something or post something from three years ago just to yeah. keep my feet active. Like, yeah. That must be a challenge for a lot of artists now who just need to keep feeding the feed and in addition to doing all these this paid work that they have going on, right? Yeah, that that must be a real struggle for people. It it is. It's a, a struggle. How do you how do you feed the beast? And it's even, I think sometimes it's a little detrimental to creativity. Where I have found myself making art for Instagram instead of for whatever purpose it should be made for. You know, instead of making it for something, I I, I could put together in a comic and sell, you know, publish a book or something like that. I'm like, well, I need to post something today. What's hot right now? Oh, you know, 
et just came out with a new blu-ray i better draw et or a 4k et or something like that so i guess i'm doing et fan art today because i know that'll get all the likes and um you could play that game and it, and it actually doing fan art works and in, in building a lot of followers but the, the the main thing you have to remind, remind yourself is what am i saying no to when i go down that you know when i'm creating for instagram what am i not creating and so there's you know there's ways to to get around that there's strategies you could do and kind of what i've what i've done is try to make sure that everything that i'm working on can be it's a artwork can be used more than one i try to give them nine lives you know so if you're working on a a picture you can post the sketch so that picture one life of it is as an instagram post you can post the final drawing, so there's another life. It's a, it's another Instagram post, but then you can you can collect it in a, a drawings book, like a book of all your drawings. So that's a, a third life. You know, the image could be printed on a T-shirt, so it's life number four. It could be made into a print. There's life number five. It could be shrunken down and made into a sticker or a pin. There's life number six. You know, you could record yourself drawing it and turn it into a YouTube video. There's life number seven. You know, so there's there's many different, there's a lot of content, quote unquote, you can get out of one drawing if you're smart about it and if you if you do strategize a little bit. But it's it takes planning and it takes discipline. And sometimes it, that can, you know, the strategy and discipline, all this stuff can kill the creativity part of it too. So it's this balance. What I found too is though, Instagram, you're always getting new followers and not everybody goes and looks at your feed from the beginning, especially if you've been on it for 10 years or nine years, however long I've been on it. So I can repost stuff that was posted three years ago, maybe format it a little bit, maybe color it up a little bit or, or do something just a little different and get, you know, and, and it's like free, free content. I didn't have to sit down and draw for two hours. I just repurposed it from an older post. And, and I had, I've had some success with that as well um so there's yeah there's um there's a lot of different avenues in the social media side of things but i think the the best rule of thumb and i'll just narrow it down to this is document what you're doing don't necessarily create for for instagram just use it as a documentation tool so make things for not for the sake of posting them but make them for something that you can eventually like package up and sell or share you know a pr- I, I have a thing where it's a product you know not a project you want something tangible whether it's digitally tangible or physically tangible that you can then share with people and if you just document your progress of that it's really all you need to do i think for for social media yeah it is really hard managing all that and always thinking that no matter what you post to Instagram, Instagram is monetizing mm-hmm. <laughs> your art in some way, right? Yeah. Uh, they're the first one to consume it and use it. Um, right. So back to your point about, I did see your uh, your piece you did with um, uh, the painting in the mm-hmm. desert. Yeah, um, the rabbit I think, on the Yeah, the rabbit. In the yeah. yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you, for someone who has so many followers and such a, a fan following, do you worry, especially with something like that, that you're kind of not changing, but taking a different direction? Do you think about, I'm going to lose followers because of this? Yeah, but I also look at it like culling the herd. Like I'm weeding out people. I'm, I'm 
weeding out people who don't care and refining that audience. So for this last month, I stopped doing Inktober, right? So Inktober finished. And then I'm like, okay, what are we going to do post-Inktober? So I started posting paintings. I did like four posts in a row of things I'm thankful for, like leading up to Thanksgiving and tried to show the more human side of, it's not just an artist posting on here, but there's a person who has a partner that I'm thankful for, has, you know, books that I'm thankful for, an art teacher, like all this stuff. And I, at the beginning of the month, I had 595,000 people following me. Now I have 591. So I lost 4,000 followers. <laughs> but I don't look at that. I'm just like, see ya. <laughs> if you weren't interested in who I'm married to and why she's important in my life, then, then I don't think you were a, a, you know, a true fan. Not that so you follow someone on Instagram, you're automatically a fan, but, but um, yeah, it's just a way to like refine that audience. So um, everything has consequences. You post some things, you'll get new followers. You post some things, oh, it's not for me. I'm going to stop following this guy. You kind of, I think, just have to stay true to who you are and make something, post things, be authentic, and then, and then you'll find the, the audience that you deserve and deserves you will kind of, you'll find each other. That's good advice. Thanks, Jake. (laughs) So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the tools, and then maybe we'll go into uh, to Inktober a little bit deeper. Sure. So I've you know I've watched videos. People have seen your work. I mean, a lot of the stuff you do is with you know pencil and ink, and Mm -hmm. you do some digital as well. And I'm wondering, are you? I mean, you're obviously doing more digital now. If you're talking about 3D work and that. But are you in one camp versus the other? Because I know that when I did Inktober first, I think three years ago, there was this big push that you have to do it with ink. And I was like, I just got a new iPad. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing it in Procreate. Is there, at this point in time for you, is it predominantly digital versus analog or the other way around? Or Because um, I know you do a combination of both where you draw and then you mm-hmm. scan mm-hmm. and then you ink and then you scan. Mm-hmm. So talk about where you are now with all of that. Yeah, I have a hard time drawing, sketching without st- starting out on the Cintiq lately. <laughs> um, I'm so used to sketching in Photoshop and all the tools that come with that. And, and what's nice about it is sketching and, oh, the head's too small. I'll just select the head and resize it instead of erase and try to redraw it as good as I drew it before, but 10% bigger, you know? So I'm I'm like this hybrid space right now where... I use I I mostly care about the final image and I don't care about what it takes to get there. And if that's digital, if it's using Blender 3D, if it's you know, if it's watercolor, I'll I'll do what it takes to get there. So in with Inktober, I I used to be a stickler about ink, but you know, the the community, the Inktober community has said for the most part we don't care and it should be about creating not using specifically an ink tool um and so and so i've just been kind of hands off with that like if you want to use a sharpie go for it if you want to use throw some color in there go for it some people do inktober with um they make black and white cg models right some people write poems for inktober you know so it's not even drawing and i'm cool with all of it i think it's great it's it's just i'm i'm Inktober is just a um, a framework for you to get better as an artist, get exposure as an artist, and make something cool, make something that you're proud of. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, so let's head down that Inktober route. It's mm-hmm. been, you started that in 2009. Nine? Yep. And I did three years. I did two years digital. This year I did, <laughs> influenced by you and another guest that I had on the, the podcast, I decided to do everything on one single piece of paper. So it was my first time using ink. Cool, was that fun? <laughs> I sent it to you just <laughs> because it was like, it kind of freaked me out. Um, yeah. And back to your point about Dune, I actually did use a Dune worm in it <laughs> at oh, one nice. point. Because <laughs> one of the prompts was Dune and all I could think about was the movie rather than the, right. the sand. Um, but it's uh, it was quite a challenge for me. But I have to say that for me, every year has brought me closer to where I want to be. And I think mm-hmm. that I'm, I was inspired the first year. The second year, I, I went a little bit different. I actually used white on black. I used some red uh, ink on black. So I, I digitally, but mm-hmm. I did it all in Procreate because I was working. For me, if I brought my iPad to work, I could draw it at lunch. Um, yeah. So it That's was cool. a convenience with it, right? But yeah. now that I'm working from home, I could do a whole drawing. I have it sitting there on my drafting table. I could just sit down at any point and just sketch a little bit and then ink it. And I think what I got out of it this year is I want to do a children's book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I have a thought of characters. and. So I, I want to thank you for doing it and keep pushing it forward because I think it's been powerful for so many of us and what it's opened up for us, it, it would be completely different. I've spoken to other artists and they're exploring different routes because of Inktober. That's cool. And so I'm so happy that you've done it. I'm, the promotion and, and feeling that we're all part of a community has been incredible. So I want to thank you for that. But I wanted to ask you as well, something that came up last year was mm-hmm. um, the trademarking of Inktober. Yeah. And I think that through a few people for a bit of a, a tailspin, trying to understand what that means and how it impacts what they produced yeah. for Inktober and how they can leverage that. And right. so maybe you can talk about, because I think you're absolutely justified. You created Inktober. I think absolutely makes sense to trademark that IP. But mm-hmm. I think we, I think it would be good maybe to talk through what people can and can't do and what it re- really all means, because I think yeah. some people are still confused around that. Yeah, so Inktober, Inktober kind of, blew up into this thing that I wasn't expecting it to be. And, you know, it, I didn't set out to making Tober uh, a worldwide challenge, but it, it started going that direction. And then I, was, I thought, well, if it's going this direction and people are already like coming to me, like flooding my inbox with, what are the rules in Tober? How can I do it? You know, what, what pen do I use? Can I do this? Can I do that? And getting all these followers kind of asking for direction and what, you know, we want the prompt list and we want to know the rules, all that stuff. I decided, fine, I'll, <laughs> I'll be the Inktober guy, right? And I, I, I pushed against that for, for many years where I was like, I was frustrated that people knew about me because of Inktober and not because of the graphic novels that I was doing. And the, the, there's Jake Parker, the, the creator of, Skyheart or Missile Mouse or worked on Rocket Raccoon or those things. It was Jake Parker, creator of Inktober. And I was like, I, I pushed against it, but eventually I decided to embrace it. And like, I didn't own the Inktober Instagram account. I didn't have Inktober.com. I didn't do anything like that. And I thought, if this is something that's associated with me already, I should probably take some ownership of it. So I purchased Inktober.com and I got the Inktober Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts um, because I wanted to 
I wanted to kind of control the the that outward face of Inktober. If the other person who had the Inktober uh, Instagram handle, they did fine with it, but it wasn't you know it wasn't the vibe or the the voice that I thought Inktober should be. And you know, God forbid they they would have posted something racist or you know super insensitive or, or or something like that and and then that would come back to me right and so i figured if i have more control over this then i can essentially i guess protect the community somewhat i can con- control the narrative of inktober what it is what it sh- should be so trademarking it was just like this evolution of that because um, what I realized too, and this was advice given to me by my agent and manager for publishing, and she's like, you know, if you don't trademark this, there's nothing stopping artsupply.com. I just made that up, but artsupply.com mm-hmm. going and getting the trademark, owning it, and doing whatever they want with it. Or there's nothing stopping so-and-so from just making Inktober t-shirts with your logo and selling those, or even taking their own images and and I tried to never post on Inktober anything sexual, anything violent, anything racist, you know, at most PG-13, <laughs> but try to keep everything in the general audience. But if someone was going around doing that ultra-violent stuff with the Inktober brand next to it, I couldn't, have, I would be powerless to stop them from doing it. But by owning the trademark... I can say, hey, you can't associate the Inktober brand with that content. And so ultimately what the trademark is, is not the usage of the name on social media or the hashtag, but it, it's the logo is is trademarked. And the word Inktober is trademarked in business, like in, in business transactions, I guess. So, and there's a, there's a, uh, I think a deeper layer to that too. I'm cool with artists like selling their Inktober artwork and putting together a book of their Inktober artwork. But what is a little frustrating to me business-wise, we talked about artists learning the business, is when you make a a book and you call it, you know, my Inktober sketchbook, and then, you know, your name's down at the bottom, but the Inktober logo is on the top. That does great for the Inktober brand. You're building the Inktober brand when you make that sketchbook. And you know you're also going to be able to maybe sell that sketchbook by leveraging that brand, right? But at the end of the day, you haven't done anything to build your own brand. No one's going to look at that and think, oh, who's this artist? They're going to look at that and say, oh, this is Inktober. Let's check that out. And instead, what you know, my advice to artists is take the logo off. You could leave the Inktober a part of the the title, but the main title should be 31 Days of Witches, you know, an Inktober project by so-and-so, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, or maybe it's even your own character, like 30, you know, 31 Days of the Adventure of of Lucky Rabbit or whatever your character is. And so then, you know, the person buying that is buying it because they're interested in your IP that you've created and not just because of Inktober. And so that's that's sort of my advice to artists as far as building your own brand by leaning in and focusing on what you've created and what what is unique to you. It's better for you in the long run than making a quick, you know, selling 50 sketchbooks with the Inktober logo on it, you know? 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think there was so much confusion around it, and I agree. Like, people can't use the Inktober as it's styled. Like, that that Mm -hmm. is trademarked. Mm -hmm. I still see people doing it in YouTube videos, and I'm thinking, I don't know if you have to be doing that. Like, Mm -hmm. they'll throw it up as their... As the first image, you know, for the for their YouTube videos, and I'm thinking as, as it goes through the month, and I'm thinking I don't know why you have to do that, mm-hmm. but I do agree. Like there there are some people who really put a lot into Inktober, and they have to realize they can say these are my Inktober drawings. Mm-hmm. It's just that you can't use the trademark of Inktober to sell your. Mm-hmm. It's like using Ford or Lamborghini or something else. You just right. you know they would have a problem with it too. Right. I know, and there's there's confusion too. Like people are saying, oh, you can't use the hashtag, or you idiot, you can't trademark a hashtag mm-hmm. i didn't trademark a hashtag anybody can use a hashtag i'm not gonna mm-hmm. go after people hashtagging their working tober what what a, um the hashtag is hashtags are free to use what you know there's nothing stopping the line that i draw is you put the logo on a shirt or on the cover of your book and then it looks like it's something that inktober has put out and not you put out and i have to kind of draw a line between those things right yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things I would like Inktober to do, and I don't know if it's, I didn't check this year, mm-hmm. uh, the latter part of the month, but is stickers. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. I know, I got to get uh, my act together and do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I would always, you know, because I have an iPad, I would love to put something on the back of it. I know mm-hmm. some people hate stickers on, on iPads, but I would just love to be able to throw some of those on, right? Yeah, that's a good um, idea. Or water bottles or your, yeah, your exactly. window, your car window. Yeah, yeah, because you—I mean—you have great stickers around some of the books you've done, yeah. And it would be great to have some Inktober ones as well. Yeah. So I wanted to just touch briefly on the prompts because there was a couple this year. Or there's always a couple, right? And mm-hmm. depending on what you're drawing, you're like, <laughs> I, I think I may switch this one out. Right. And you know, this year for me it was dizzy, mm-hmm. and it was a prompt last year I had a problem with. Um, yeah. And you had said that you're just keeping it in anyways. Right. So I ended up actually using a, a, a horn from Dizzy Gillespie because I thought, I'm That's doing a cool. nature scene. How am I going to do Dizzy, right? Right. Um, I'm looking at your image and, right now, too. Okay. Yeah, so the rat find... that's walking has a has Dizzy hanging, uh, a horn hanging off his, his... Oh, and the other challenging one was with him, too. So if you look at the rat that's walking back into the village, yeah. he's got a horn. And the other two was Coral. So mm-hmm. he has a piece of Coral hanging from his backpack because he's a traveler and he went and there's no coral in the woods. So yeah. I had to figure that one out. And uh, what was the other one? Rocket. <laughs> mm, so you did Rocket Raccoon? Is yeah. Is that I, your solution? That was my solution. <laughs> That's cool. It's either these animals have created a, a rocket and they're ready to, to launch themselves to Mars or I'm going to use Rocket Raccoon. And I just love, I mean, those are the words that I really hate. I hate a strong word. They really frustrate me, but they really kind of push you down a path that I enjoy. And s- you know, some of them yeah. are really straightforward and people treat it completely like, you know, I did um, Dune. So, you know, mm-hmm. I thought about the movie versus Sand Dunes. And and some people have problems with words I think are really simple. And I think that's what's great about these prompts, these 31 prompts, mm-hmm. is that they're kind of all over the place. And so how do you pull these together? Is it you in a group? Like, do you do you start now for next year? Is there <laughs> an idea pot that these get thrown into or how does that work? Yeah, I put them together about six months before October, uh, usually in June or not June, like uh, April. Right. But, um, it's just me that I I bounce them off my family. I think what I'm going to do this year is do a post that just says, Hey, what prompts do you want? 
and let people reply with words that they like and then just pick and choose from from that. Um, but essentially, and, and I should say this, the prompt list started in 2016 or 2015, I can't remember. But prior to that, there was no prompt list. You did Inktober, you came up with your own drawing every day. You didn't work off a list or anything. And other people started making prompt lists and people were saying, well, what's the official prompt list? What's the one that you know Inktober endorses? And so, and so one year I was like, okay, I'm going to make the prompt list, the official prompt list for Inktober, and people can do it if they want or not. I don't, I don't care. And so that's really the, like the history of, of the prompt list. It wasn't ever a thing until five years ago. And the way that I go about doing it is there's websites that people, for people learning English, where there's just a list of words, that they, you know, vocabulary that they should, they should know. Mm-hmm. And so I usually go on those and I'll do, I'll find 10 nouns, 10 verbs, and 10 adjectives. And I'll kind of mix those in. And I like having some words that are also nouns and also verbs, just to really mix people up. Um, people who aren't native English speakers hate that because they're like, well, you know, is it snow like on the ground or is it snow like it's snowing outside, you know, or is it, uh, is it sail, I'm in the boat sailing, or is it sail the piece of the the the, the sailboat or, or something like that? And really it's a prompt list. So it's what, it, you don't even have to do the word. If that word makes you think of grass, <laughs> then draw grass, draw a field of grass. It's just to get your, your imagination going. So yeah, Maybe, so I guess it's 31 days, so I'll have one extra word that's a, usually a noun. And then I mix them all up and and put out the list. And last year, or this year, Dizzy was on there. I thought it wasn't on a previous list, but there's so many words now, it's hard to, to keep track, and I, I missed it. But that's essentially how it's, how it's done. And you also did 52 prompts for each week of the year this year as well. Right? Yeah, so this is the first year to do Inktober 52 and what that was is is for people who don't have actually it's there's two reasons for it. One is for people who don't have time to do a 31-day challenge in October but just have time to do a drawing every week and number two it was a way to keep people like sharp so that when Inktober rolled around they're like I've been doing this all year. I'm ready to roll, you know, I could do 31 because I've been doing an ink drawing once a week. And, you know, by the time Inktober starts, they've had 30 already, you know. Are you thinking Inktober 52 for 21? Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. what I'm going to do before the year's out is do a post and say, hey, what words do you want for, for next year? Actually, with uh, we partnered with Viviva Colors. They do the, the color sheets, these little booklets where you get them wet and it's watercolor. Right. And one of the um, they they launched a, a Kickstarter and or a, a Indiegogo or something for Inktober sheets, but one of the I think it was like a, a contest. The winner of it could pick the first prompt for Inktober fifty two. So they picked a winner and she sent me her word, and so that's going to be the first word, and then the all all fifty one I'm going to pick from this this list. That's cool. <laughs> that's a cool prize. I'd yeah. be I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So. I wanted to touch on another couple of things, I think, and, and that is about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you've put out a number of books, yep. and you've written books, mm-hmm. illustrated and written books, yeah. and and you've launched these on Kickstarter. You've had mm-hmm. uh, books around your drawings. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could just, and I've, I have a few 
patrons that are interested in books as well, creating their own books. I wonder if you can talk about maybe that experience of creating a book and, you know, kickstarting it and maybe a couple of the lessons you pulled from that. I know you talk about this on your podcast and Mm -hmm. you've covered this elsewhere and I'm sure it's on the website we'll talk about later as well. But I mean, that must be pretty scary, but what was that like launching your, for example, your first one versus your last one? Yeah, the first book, the first Kickstarter book versus my last Kickstarter book. Um, the first one, I, so that Kickstarter, all I had, it was a collection of my short comic stories, right? So I just had these short stories. I did not know how to format a book. I didn't know how to make a video. I barely knew how to like, I didn't know how to like ship stuff. I didn't know anything. I was like a little like uh, art art business baby, right? So I learned so much from it and I ended up, you know, the Kickstarter made $85,000. I didn't get to really keep a dime of that after printing and after not understanding shipping, especially overseas and kind of screwing, <laughs> screwing that up. But I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, so all that money like went straight into the, the project and really it opened up my mind. That was like kind of pivotal. It made me realize, oh my gosh, social media isn't just like this fun thing. It's, it can be this tool to really drive sales. And I didn't realize that before that. I thought it was just a thing that you do, you're posting, you're inter- engaging. But so many of the, the people who backed that Kickstarter were from Twitter, right? And so I learned the business side. That was like an aha moment for business. As far as bookmaking, I hired a person to lay out the book. Um, I got a guy who did video to record and edit my video. And uh, and then I've I've since then figured out like the whole shipping process. And me and my wife were just talking last night. We've shipped, I don't know, 10, 15,000 books over the years, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Between my shop and different Kickstarters. This last Kickstarter... I built the entire book in InDesign. I learned how to use InDesign. And, and after that first book, I was like, I don't like handing this off to other people because I, I kind of enjoy doing it myself. And it's, it's cheaper <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to do it myself. And so I taught myself InDesign and figured out how to lay out a book. Um, I figured out how to get everything sent off to the printer and in, in China and what kind of file types they need and how to format everything. Um, I learned how to make my own videos and started a YouTube channel. Ironically though, this last Kickstarter, I, I realized like I, I looked at my own behavior and there were like 10 Kickstarters I backed. I never pushed play on their video. Um, I just looked, scrolled down. Is this something I want? It is find the tier. Boom backing it. And so I said, well, why do I got to make a video if people aren't going to watch it? And so I didn't make a video for this last Kickstarter. I don't know if it made a difference. The Kickstarter made uh, 55,000, I think is what it was, 50,000, something like that. And that's for your drawings five? Drawings book five. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so there's just every, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring, trying stuff out, figuring stuff out, but it has definitely been like a cool process over the years to like to you know talking to you now i don't realize how much i've learned about all this stuff uh, so yeah it's interesting if you think you know you listen to this and you think there's no way i could do all this stuff it is so possible to learn and to become like that person that you want to be 
if you've ever learned anything, you know, everything you've learned, you used to be a person that didn't know that, that didn't know how to do that. And now you are a person that knows how to do that. And you'll keep doing that throughout your life. You know, you'll be 50, 55, and you'll figure out something you never knew before. And now you can do that thing. And that's, that's uh, you know, not saying at 55 years old, but that is later, you know, later in life. And, uh, and I hope to be that person that's 60, 70, 80, still figuring stuff out, still learning things, still doing things. Who knows? I might be too tired, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, I didn't start really taking my art seriously until I was 45, maybe. Oh, yeah. 47. And yeah. I'm 53 now. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know. Who knows, maybe my first book will be at 55, I don't know. But I wanted to ask you, for the person listening who's thinking about doing this, they, you know, and we'll talk about SVS Learn and how that could help with the storytelling mm-hmm. component of it. Yeah. But if they're think, if somebody has a strong idea and they really feel passionate about creating a book, what would you say would be, you know, two or three things that they, they should really have a grasp on that may not be art related that would mm-hmm. allow them to be successful with a Kickstarter? Yeah around creating a book or a comic. So I think what people all the time get this wrong about Kickstarter, and that is they think it's a platform to find an audience for your project. And really, unless it's um, something, uh, unless it's tech or a board game, you're not going to get an audience on Kickstarter. Um, So a book is really you leveraging your audience um, or leveraging Kickstarter to have you know have your audience have a way to support you. So if if you're wanting to do any sort of creative storytelling project, you're going to want to build that audience first before you launch the Kickstarter. And I've seen it a hundred times. Someone launches a Kickstarter, they have 100 followers on Instagram, and they're like, "Where is everybody?" Unless you've got something so unique, so cool, and so accessible that you know there's a virality to it you're not going to find the support that you need. Yes, for three things. Thing number one is build that audience outside of Kickstarter. And what you do, we talked about this earlier, is you document your progress. So maybe your Instagram handle says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mike Henley, and I am making a book. Uh, join me in my process. And that's your little Instagram bio. You know, I plan on launching this in 2023. You know, Join me in this in this journey, and then every step of the way, you just share with people like, okay, I've I've got sketches, and then maybe a month later, you're like, oh, you know, this character is not working; they're they're out of here. But I'm replacing them with this character, and all along the way, your fan base is like, oh, we're getting closer to that launch date. We're getting closer to that launch date, we're getting, you know. And finally, when you say, hey, you've been here for two years following me, the book is done; it's time to launch it. Uh, this, this Kickstarter, they are way more likely to back that Kickstarter than if you'd been working on it secretly and saying, "Hey, come see my, right. you know, my my book about this rat traveler, you know, who's <laughs> who's collected yeah. coral and trumpets and, and things like that." Right? Yeah, he's not so, going to be in it, <laughs> right? So that's number one. Number two, do the minimum viable product that you can, and that's something that I pulled from like startup culture, mm-hmm. and that is. You know, your idea is a, an electric car, right? And, you, and you're like, I've got the perfect idea for electric car, so I'm just going to work on this electric car, spend all this money, you know, build it, and and then unleash it on the world. And it turns out that's not the electric car people really wanted. 
So what you do is you build the electric skateboard and you put it out there and people are like, oh, this is cool. I can get from point A to point B on this. You know, it works. And then you, you, know, you, you add maybe handles to it. Now it's the electric scooter. Oh, that works pretty cool. You know, and then they're like, well, let's, you know, people want to sit down and carry stuff. So, you know, you have the electric bike and you add the basket to it. Oh, that works pretty good. And then you kind of build your way up to it. And that's what I would do with, with, your, with your story. Post your character and maybe you don't even sh- tell a story. You just tell, uh, you like show them in a situation that tells a story. So going back to your rat traveler, mm-hmm. what, you know, what would people think if they saw him and he's like dangling from a tree branch and his backpack is on the ground, like strewed all over and everything's around. Like immediately you're thinking, what the heck happened here? I want to find out. And you've got people hooked. They want to know what's happening. So if you could tell a story with an image, then you can move it to the next thing. And, and okay, now I'm going to tell a five-page story. And so they're swiping through and they're seeing him have a problem. He solves it in some clever way. And there's like, you know, satisfaction of this new equilibrium. And then you could do a 20-page story. And then maybe you've got a whole children's book idea, right? And so that's that's what I would work on is not only to get an audience invested in your character, but it teaches you how to craft a story and learn the art of storytelling. And you might make something that doesn't get any comments or any likes and you realize, okay, I'm not there yet. You know, that's valuable too. (laughs) You know, it's it's probably more valuable than, than getting a lot of comments and likes on it. So I would do that. I would do the build the audience, build your craft as a, as a storyteller. And then number three, I, uh, I would, learn probably learn just the the business side of it of making and selling something so before you launch your kickstarter maybe what you do is you make some again a minimum viable product with your character so maybe it's a pdf collection of your artwork your character designs and and a little short story and you sell that on a, on a web shop or something like that and that teaches you how to make a product, put it up into the market, deliver it to people, deal with customer service problems. Oh, my PDF didn't work. I didn't get it. Or maybe even make like a little uh, print on demand thing and you, you sell 50 of them. And it's just something small, some little collectible, or maybe you make a sticker pack with all your characters, just something cool. You're going to bump into all these like weird problems that you never expected without doing that. One thing I would do too with all this, and it goes along with that business thing, is build your email list as well. Uh, a lot of pe- times people are like worried about Instagram followers, Twitter followers, Facebook likes and, and, and friends and things like that. Have you ever heard of MySpace? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, I f- like any one of these platforms is like two breaths away from becoming MySpace. And it might not be like, you know, it, it could be something the government does and they just say, hey, Twitter's a monopoly. We're going to break this up. And there needs to be two platforms that um, people have access to. Like, you know, there's already talk about that. And so all of a sudden, I don't know how it would be done, but maybe people just leave Twitter because they don't like it anymore. And you've built up this 30,000 follower following on Twitter. You don't have access to those people anymore, right? An email list you own. You own those emails. They've given up those emails to you because they trust you and you've earned that trust somehow. And that email list can go wherever you go. 
And so, and and I I've had so much more success with an email list than I've had with um, social media as far as selling stuff. You could do more with a thousand email subscribers than you could with ten thousand Instagram followers because the Instagram follower is passive. They're they're just double tapping and scrolling. An email list they have to type it in, they have to confirm that they've got it. You know they're working for this, and then um, they have to check their email and interact with you that way. And so it's just a good tool for people to use to to have access to that audience that won't go away, and to really build that that relationship of trust. And the way you build that email list is you. You exchange their email for something they want. So if you say, hey, I've got a, a free PDF of my characters, just join my email list and I'll, and I'll send it out to you. Now you know that person who's given you that email li- email for that PDF is a customer, a future customer. So that when you launch that Kickstarter two years from now, they're going to be first in line to buy it. And you'll have access to them, regardless if they see it on the algorithm on Twitter or Instagram, they'll have access to their email because no one's dumping email. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I think I took that advice from uh, one of your episodes. I think you guys talked about that, and I mm-hmm. actually moved from one provider to another because uh, I, I want to start oh, cool. building bu- building up my uh, my mailing list. And I agree with the business. Like, I'm trying, I, I want to sell some of the, uh, some prints of the graphite, the, the realism that I do. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of complexity around that that you need to kind of work out and you know, being in Canada, shipping stuff to the U.S., mm-hmm. shipping stuff to the U.K., it's like, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, so many Canadians try to drop ship to U.S. locations here to get mm-hmm. it into the U.S. because it's just so expensive. So yeah. just managing that, how to print it, how do you package it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, trying to be kind of environmentally sensitive around the packaging now. You know, be concerned about what I'm sending and and how much garbage it's producing because that weighs heavy on me, especially if I'm sending or printing nature illustration. So right. I would yeah. agree heavily with that, that people need to explore the business of delivering to your customers mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. before kind of taking this too much further. Cause it is, there's a lot of complexity around that. Yeah. Now I wanted to, and, and I'm, once again, I'm sensitive to the time that you have, and mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about education mm-hmm. and specifically the education that you're doing through SVS Learn and your podcast. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been on to SVS Learn, uh, but I know that a lot of people that have and a lot of people enjoy it. And maybe you can talk about, but I do listen to your podcast all the time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about how those each got started and maybe we can start there. Like, okay. why did you start SVS Learn and why did you start the podcast? SVS Learn started because Will Terry and I, we wanted to teach people how to do children's books, essentially. And we were both teaching adjunct for different schools. And none of the schools that we worked for or that we heard of had good children's book illustration programs or or courses. And so we're like, let's just do an online one. And we um, created the curriculum. We launched a live version of it and we sold, filled out those seats, you know, sold out of that. And then we recorded it and sold the recordings and sold a bunch of those too. And we're like, Hey, this is something people are interested in and they and they like this. And so we decided to do another class. And we ended up doing like 10, 15 classes. And once we had enough, we switched from people paying per class to a subscription model where people could pay 
a very low amount every month. I think it's $29 a month and get access to 80 classes. But more importantly, the thing that we've been working on now is the foundations curriculum. And that's the thing we wanted to do because we kept seeing these reoccurring problems over and over. They'd sign up for a children's book course and we'd be like, okay, so you're going to put your character and they're going to go into this environment and people are like, wait, um, how do you do a character? Or they do a character and we'd be like, oh, your character needs work. So we realized, okay, we need to have a course on character design. We need to have a course on basic perspective. We need to have a course on just basic drawing, fundamental skills, light and shadow, things like that. So we put together the uh, foundations course. And what that is, is when you sign up for SVS, you get started on this track and you take the first class and the second class and third class and it weaves you through this um, these classes where you learn kind of step-by-step step how to draw well, how to create really good images. And the idea is if you do that and you do all the homework for it, by the end of that, you have a portfolio of work that if you're at a certain level, you could it could be um, something you could send to an art director or send to an editor and say, hey, you know, consider me for your next project. Uh, and that, that was our goal there is, it's just to get people from, you know, this amateur level to a more professional level, regardless if they want to be professional or not, just that their their work would reach that level. So that's what it is. That's uh, that's why we do it. The podcast started because the three of us love getting along. It's called Three Point Perspective. It's me, Will Terry, and Lee White, and we're the three founders of SVS, and we love chatting with each other, and we'd have these conversations and we didn't record them and we're like, man, that would have been a good podcast. <laughs> so, so we decided to do it. And I, I, you know, was an avid listener or and still am of podcasts. And so I kept telling the guys, I'm like, we should do a podcast. They didn't listen to podcasts. They're like, why? Nobody does that. I'm like, no, you guys, everybody does. And so we, we launched it and essentially every episode we just tackle some topic in illustration, kind of give our three perspectives on it. And that's all it is. And we've tried to keep it simple. I mean, so many times people are like, you should have guests and we should have guests. But at the end of the day, like sometimes you got to do something just for yourself in a way, like, like not everything has to be, you know, modified and, and perfected and taken to, you know, it's, it's full potential, you know, turned into a business. Sometimes you just have to have a thing that you do because you enjoy. And that podcast is that we like talking with each other. So we're just going to record that. And that's essentially, you know, what it is. Yeah. And I think it is great. I do agree that guests are hard, um, mm-hmm. especially if you've got three people. So now you've got four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost that maybe one of you runs the interview and maybe that's recorded separately. And then the three of you, three of you talk about it afterwards. That would be kind of an interesting listen. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, if you have pointers on how we should do that, <laughs> I'm all ears. Well, I think it would be, I'd love to hear the questions you would have of others in the industry, mm-hmm. or maybe on the periphery of the industry as well. Mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective at that. And as I say, like if, if it's just you or Lee or whomever ask those questions and has that interview, and then post you, you three of you talk about it again. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that would be kind of an interesting take on it because I think four people, I've thought about that. I've thought about having multiple people on to talk about, for example, social media. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. You have to have the right people because you're going to have those interruptions. And you guys, I have to say, you guys gel really well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's entertaining to listen to. And, you know, it's it's like your voice 
amongst the three of you is the one that keeps everything calm and and, and <laughs> that's and, how it is I mean, in in our business meetings too <laughs> and uh, to, I, I do i love seeing that pop up in my uh in my unplayed feed on my uh podcast players so i think mm-hmm. whatever you're doing just you know as a group just keep doing it don't mess with it too much okay. but i think it's kind of fun i think um podcasts are are important and you know, I think that obviously people are going to be pulled into SVS Learn with this. You guys are talking about what's happening in that online community, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. So you've been doing a lot more of that. So I appreciate that. You know, obviously I'm going to be subscribing to SVS Learn and because I feel like there's stuff there that I need to learn and understand. Mm-hmm. And we're always curious and we want to always want to move it forward. So cool. I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. If someone hasn't listened to the podcast before, mm-hmm. I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you think there's an episode they could start with, apart from number one? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, depending on your age, look for the podcast and my tool to start the episode. I thought that was a good one. That was an early one. Um, but I think of the, the more recent ones, let me just let me just pull up the... Po- if you go to svslearn.com and click on the podcast uh, link, you'll be taken to the page with all the different episodes. So what's cool is... They all have different artwork for each episode, and those are those um, illustrations are taken from our community of artists. So we actually have a contest every month, and whoever wins it gets offered a job to um, to do the illustration. That's pretty cool. I would look at a really good one. I think maybe artistic burnout would be good. Yeah, I I like the one. Uh, where is it? Mistakes beginning illustrators make is another good one. So scroll through that. You'll find, just read the titles. You'll find something that I'm sure that is of interest. I, I heard you talk about the artwork and I really didn't see it till now because I, through my podcast player, I don't see this. I just see the, the show. Yeah. Um, but these are, these are fun. What a great uh, opportunity for those learning that your artwork could be on a, on a podcast. Yeah. That's, a, that's a cool idea. Yeah, and if you click on it and you're taken to the page for that episode, then there's a link to that person's Instagram account or their website or something like that. So, oh, brilliant! That's a good way to to, to pull people forward or push them forward yeah. in uh, their artistic journey. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'll link to a few of those episodes you mentioned in the show notes. Great, uh, so people can get to it uh, quickly and easily. And obviously, everything that we've talked about, I will include uh, links in the show notes as well. So before I go into homework, I wanted to ask you. With everything you have going on, right? You SVS Learn, you've got Kickstarters, you've got probably some side projects and books you're still illustrating that aren't necessarily your books. Mm-hmm. Do you draw for yourself and not share it? Do you still draw every day and feel that you need to do that and that's part of who Jake is? Do you still do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you being and honest. I, uh, yeah, and I want to. And I was just thinking that, like, I'm like, Jake, 2021 should be the year where you do take time to like do a drawing every single day and whether it takes 15 minutes or an hour, just start your day with that. And I used to do that. Like the, the personal drawing was like sanctified. Like I would do that first thing, no matter how much was on my plate that day. I'm like, Nope, not even going to open my email box inbox. I'm not going to even answer my phone. This hour or two hours is going to be me just drawing something in my sketchbook. And the, the, the payoff of that was I had all these ideas. I think I created Skull Chaser 
through that. Skyheart kind of came from that. Like it was just a chance to explore as kind of research and development. And what was interesting too is everything that had to be done still got done. And and that's kind of advice that I give to people is is um, if you think you're going to do it when you're done with everything, you're never going to be done with everything and you're going to get to the end of your day and be too tired. But if it's something you really want to do, it has to happen first. And maybe it's you go to bed early and you wake up early and you do that when the house is quiet and no one else is up and you, you just spend an hour doing that. The other thing is don't get frustrated if you waste an hour and you don't draw anything good or create anything good, but still training yourself to be in that zone during that time. And so I look back at the, those years that I was doing that as like really good years, but then you, I get busy and I start, have ideas for projects and I do things. And the last couple of years have been, you know, really hard to squeeze in personal drawing time. And even like these painting things that I've been doing, they've been like the last two hours of my work day, you know, when I can. Mm-hmm. And I haven't even done one this week. We're Friday right now and I haven't really done anything for myself this week. But it's not like I'm not drawing. I'm doing right. freelance work. I'm doing, you know, little odd jobs here and there. But still, it's it, it, you have to spend some time in your own little world, I think, if if you want, you know, if you want to make something of it, you know, if you want to make something unique or something that's that's from you, if if not, and you're totally fine doing work for other studios or freelance or publisher or a writer or something like that, and you're getting all of your fulfillment out of that, that's fine. But if you're wanting to go a more independent route and make something unique that's that has your voice, then I, I, you know, my advice is carve that time out early in the day. Do it first. The other stuff, your your uh, emails will get answered if they're important. You know, at noon, <laughs> right? And the world isn't gonna is it gonna f- come crashing down. I, I mean, that's really good advice. I did uh, NaNoWriMo. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. So I did that two years ago, and so I finished. I did sixty five thousand words uh, on a story. So that's one of my wow. basis for possibly a children's book is that. that's so cool and i've got two other stories and i i, I kind of wish that inktober was maybe ink roll mm-hmm. <laughs> or or ink arch because <laughs> yeah. it's right before um november and so yeah. i haven't i've always thought you know i'm going to do inktober and then i'm going to do nanowrimo and i just creatively i just i can't yeah but what i used to do is i would i would start at you know, four thirty, quarter to five in the morning, and I would write. I would try and write my sixteen hundred words uh, before anyone else got up. Amazing. And I've not taken that approach with. I, I've done that with a few drawings recently, where I've just gotten up and I'm going to s- just walk down to my bathrobe, try mm-hmm. and grab a coffee, and start. And mm-hmm. uh, when I do it, it's great. Yeah. But man, it is hard. But that's really good advice. You you have a very good point that you know it's that creative bit that you need to get done because everything else will get done when it needs to get done. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I have, I always ask my guests for a bit of homework mm-hmm. for the person listening to uh, to be able to take maybe some of your knowledge, some of your suggestions and be able to do something with that. So do you have a bit of homework, something they could try for, you know, a beginner intermediate artist who wants to move their kind of creative journey forward, something that they can do? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. I don't know if this is lame or not, but it's it's actually something I want to do myself so... I have a feeling it's it's valid. It's not going to be lame. <laughs> it's not be lame. And that is 
um, get a and if you haven't if you've already done this great if not get a cork board that goes right in front of your workstation and print out five to ten images that are the images you want to make you know that caliber that level or or that um, genre or that style something like that and just put those all right you, you know, make make them a little bit small so you can fit them and put them all right in front of you i don't have i have a couple of them up there but they're old i need to refresh it uh that's why i've been thinking of it and let that sort of um guide you for 2021 and just say this is this is the level this is the caliber this is this is the the content that i'm aspiring to and i think i think that that goes a long way and if you need to Take your best piece of work and stick it right in the middle of those so that you can compare and contrast and you can see where you're hitting it and where you're missing. That's a really good idea. I mean, this episode will come out just before the new year. Mm -hmm. And um, so for the person listening, if you're looking at what can you do, that's that's not a hard thing. Well, maybe it is a hard thing. So, <laughs> But <laughs> in the sense that maybe you have to narrow it down or maybe you don't have enough. But yeah, finding a few of those images, that's a really good idea. I mean, we all have little post-it important sticky notes, hopefully not with our password, but we have little mm -hmm. sticky notes all around our computers. And there's no reason that you couldn't have that board or have that representation in front of you that you look at every day. That's a really good yeah. idea. And I think making it tangible, printing it out, is uh, gives a little bit more immediacy than just having a folder you know, on your computer that you right. scroll through every once in a while. Yeah, agreed. That's a good one. It wasn't right. lame at all. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Jake produces lame. So I. <laughs> oh, come on! Thank you. <laughs> I think that was good. So where I mean, we talked about a few of the sites, but maybe I'll mm -hmm. I'll leave it to you to to tell us where people can find you and and your work. Okay. So mrjakeparker.com is my website, and a ton of artwork on there. Um, I have a blog that my my goal for 2021 is to blog every weekday, um, just. Not even I'm not even posting like my art. I'm just posting cool things I find on the internet that are kind of inspiring me. So definitely check out that. I know blogs are like ten years ago, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> Instagram is at Jake Parker. Uh, Twitter is Mister Jake Parker, and then um, the the school is svslearn.com, and then we've got inktober.com if you want to find out more about Inktober. And three-point perspective people can find in any of their podcatchers that they yep. use. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Mr. Jake Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Jakeparker.com was taken, so I had to get Mr. Jake Parker. <laughs> Absolutely understand that. I have an underscore in one of mine just for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you taking the time, putting the time aside to be on this uh, episode. I learned so much. There were so many questions I wanted to get to we didn't have time to cover but I do appreciate you putting the time aside for this. I know that the the person listening right now is probably leaving this thinking there's things I have to change and, and things I have <sighs> to do, and that's what I want. So cool. thank you so much. Good. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. Okay. You're good. You're a good uh, interviewer. <laughs> thanks, Jake. <laughs> well, take care, and uh, we'll see you online. All right. Okay, thanks. Show notes, including links to everything Jake and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 43. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. If you are interested in helping out the show, you can find links to the Patreon at drawinginspiration.fm. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to one another 
and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.